God, I pray that you would move us to, to live in that way, that no matter what you are calling us to do in every different circumstance in life, no matter what comes up, that we would not only believe, but that we would live in obedience, that we would follow you every single day. I pray that you would use your word this morning so that we would know what that looks like. We would know what it looks like to be faithful followers of you and live in obedience to your son Jesus and all that he commands us. We pray this in the name of Jesus, asking that you'd send your spirit so that we'd know your word truly. Amen. Well, there are certain uh, topics that carry a lot of uh, baggage or uh, emotional weight for us. Uh, there are certain things that are kind of hot buttons for us, and those who know us well know that, that those are kind of off-limits subjects for the most part. Uh, when I was in, in, in school, I was riding with, with a friend. Um, she was in the driver's seat, and I was in the passenger seat, and, and she was making a, a left turn at one point, and she started to turn, and I, I saw a car coming uh, from my direction, and I thought she probably hadn't seen that car, so I thought I would point that out to her. Um, and I realized everyone hates a backseat driver. No one likes that guy, and here I am being that guy. Um, but really, I thought, well, it's, it's my side of the car that's going to get hit if, if that car actually hits, so I'm going to be helpful and point out that there's a car coming. Uh, my friend did not take it that way. Uh, she glared at me, and she made it quite clear that she was perfectly capable of driving without my comments and without my help. I learned the lesson. Uh, sometime later, uh, there were a group of friends that were gathered together, and, and we were talking, and, and somehow one of the friends made kind of an offhand comment, a joke, about uh, this other friend's driving. And having had that experience, I watched for her expression. I saw an immediate move toward extreme displeasure and withdrawing from the conversation. I came to learn that friend was very sensitive about her driving, and I, I got the clue. This was an off-limits topic. If I wanted to maintain a friendship with this particular person, then we better not talk about her driving at any point. This is off-limits. We, we don't go there. Money can be one of those off-limits topics for the church. You've probably heard about uh, church leaders lining their pockets out of church funds, or maybe you've heard about pastors with, with personal luxury jets and multi-million dollar homes, and and if we start talking about money in the church, you might imagine the next step is for me to kind of try to convince you that I need a personal helicopter that we can kind of park over here on the church property, and, and we need also to have a full-time pilot just to, you know, make sure that everything's safe and all of that. But even aside from kind of the, the misuse of money, some get the impression that, that the church is really, when it comes down to it, all about money. The church just wants your own money. And, and I've heard that sentiment locally. I was talking to a friend who's kind of a casual church attender at another church, and and he said just that. I feel like the church just wants my money. I feel like that's all they talk about. That's what really drives them. And of course, I hear that, and it, and it drives me crazy. And, and I want to react against that and think, well, well I'm never going to talk about money at all because I, I never want anyone to get the impression that our church it just wants your money. That, that's not what's driving our ministry. So I, it, to avoid that kind of perception, I'd rather not talk about it at all than to have someone get that kind of impression. But the problem with never talking about money is that it's actually a huge deal when it comes to learning to live in obedience to Jesus. It's actually a really big discipleship issue. It turns out Jesus says a lot about money and how it relates to our heart. One estimate was that 15% of what Jesus said relates in some way to money. And that means that if we're going to learn to live as disciples of Jesus, as his followers, it's going to change how we think about money and how we use our money. So we're starting a short series here that's simply called Treasure, looking at what it means for us to live as followers of Jesus when it comes to our finances and in what our hearts are drawn to and how we can live in obedience to him in this area of what he talks about. 
Now, in case you're worried about ulterior motives, I will say that the church's general budget is doing really well. We ended last year with, with a surplus of, of giving. So, and this year, uh, even though we, we added some things to the budget for this year for ministry purposes, even with that increase, uh, we're still on track to, to meet funds. So this series isn't designed to try to make up for a budget shortfall or anything like that. Uh, now, I will say that, that we are going through a vision campaign right now with some significant financial numbers attached to that, and, and we will be talking about more specific numbers in the coming weeks. So I don't want to, I want to be upfront about that as well. And I do want to invite you again, by the way, in, in line with that, uh, May 7th, uh, next Sunday after church, 1230, a really uh, a big day for us in, in spreading some more information about what that looks like, another big step in that process. But, but again, that's not the driving force of why we're talking about this. Really, I've been here for seven years, and we've never really dived into this topic of money because of my fear of making it seem like we just want your money. And yet, if Jesus talks about this so much, if this is something that can be such a heart issue for so many of us, then if we're going to learn to be disciples of Jesus, we have to actually learn what Jesus says about this. So that's what this series is really about, learning to live as faithful followers of Jesus in an area where many of us, myself included, have quite a bit of struggle. So we're going to talk about through this series. We start with a fundamental truth that Jesus gives us this morning from Matthew chapter 6. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Matthew 6, 19 through 24. You can grab a Bible from the Purack if you don't have one with you this morning. Matthew 6, 19 uh, is found on page 1,508. So 1,508, Matthew 6, 19 through 24. In this passage, we're going to see, uh, we're going to break it down into two parts. First, Jesus gives us some great advice when it comes to money and investments, and then he's going to give us the bigger truth that's behind what he's saying there. So let's start with this uh, great advice that Jesus gives us. He's telling us to, to treasure what really lasts. So here's the great advice, Matthew 6, 19 and 20. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, this is a very straightforward lesson. Don't invest in things that are temporary, things that get destroyed, things that lose value for a whole host of different reasons. Instead, invest in things that are eternal, things that cannot be destroyed and cannot lose value. And really, this is the most obvious advice in the world. If you were talking to a financial planner and they put two options before you as clearly as this, every one of us would make the right choice every single time. Option A is a high-risk investment that will eventually yield no return at all. You're investing in perishable goods, things that can be destroyed by moths and insects and scavengers and things that can rust and fade and fall apart, things that can be stolen or appropriated. And there's tons of risk, high risk, and ultimately there's going to be no reward for that at all, no return on your investment. High risk, no return. That's option A. And then there's option B. Option B is a no-risk investment that will yield exponential returns. You're investing in things that are impervious to pests and are impenetrable by rust or corrosion, impossible uh, for anyone to steal. And the returns on that will always get better over time. No risk, ultimate returns. That's option B. Of course, if it was laid out for us that clearly, every single one of us is going to choose option B. It is the only thing that makes sense in light of what Jesus is saying. And that's the point. Jesus is putting for it for us in the plainest terms so we understand how obvious 
this is. It's really great advice. But actually, it's not advice at all, is it? it it's a command from Jesus. Last week, we looked at the Great Commission at the end of the book of Matthew, and Jesus charges his followers to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded, and he's with us to the very end. Well, teaching everything that Jesus commands includes what he says right here. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but instead store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. This is about obedience to Jesus. It's a command that he gives us. Invest in eternal things. Invest in what really lasts because everything else is going to fall apart and become worthless. And we have reminders of how uh, the temporary things that we draw our hearts to, we have reminders of how those things crumble and fall apart around us all the time. We see again and again examples of what this looks like. There was a great example of this in the past week or so here locally. Somewhere along the line, someone bought this 76-foot yacht. That's a big boat. I actually did some research on this. I looked at some pictures, and it was a really cool boat. Not, not a new, flashy, fancy boat or anything like that, but it was a beautiful, classic, 50-year-old luxury yacht. It had a full kitchen. You could live on that thing. It had, like, rooms in this great uh, living room, places to sleep, a great deck. This was a really cool boat. I actually found myself, as I was looking at the pictures, imagining how, how fun it would be to own this kind of thing. You could go all the way around Lake Michigan. You could take a great vacation on that boat with your family, just relax, have a great time. I'm not even a boat guy, and yet I was drawn to how cool this boat was. Someone invested in that boat. And I'm not here to, to uh, speculate about the owner. He's been skewered enough recently. But, but you can imagine that that boat was somebody's treasure. It was something that was very special to someone. But what happened to that boat? Well, it, it had some issues, and it ran aground, and it's now in a million pieces along the shore of Lake Michigan. The lake just tore it to shreds and just scattered it all over the beach. Here's the thing. As, as obvious as it is to us, and as many examples as we see of this happening, most of us just pour out our time and our attention and our energy into things that are destined for that same end. What happened to that boat is a reminder of what's going to happen to everything we own sooner or later. And if that is what our treasure is, then when it's gone, we have nothing left. We have to find a better way. As simple and as clear as Jesus' command is, most of us still have a really hard time treasuring the right stuff. So Jesus tells us the bigger truth behind this very clear command that he gives us. So the bigger truth behind the command is that our treasure reveals our hearts and reveals what we really serve. He says this in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, this is not just about a wise investment. This is about our hearts. It's about what is driving our life and what is drawing our attention. Our hearts, Jesus says, go to what we treasure. They're tied to our investments. They follow what we value. So, for example, if I put all of my retirement savings into stock for Apple computers, what's going to happen? Well, I'm going to have a vested interest in that. I'm going to have a sharp eye on what's happening with the Apple computer company. If I am listening to the news and somehow Apple comes up, I'm going to stop what I'm doing and I'm going to perk up my ears and I'm going to listen carefully. 
I'm going to pay attention to when the new iPhone comes out and to the response to that. And if the response is good, then my emotions are going to be joyful because my, the value of that retirement fund is going up along with the stock of Apple. And if the response to that new iPhone is, is poor, then I'm going to be dejected and deflated because I know that the value then of that investment is going to drop and go down. I'm probably going to uh, invest in and, and use Apple products because I have a vested interest in that company. My heart goes to where my treasure is, where my hope for the future is. That's what Jesus is saying. Our heart follows our treasure. Where our treasure is, that's where our heart is too. And that's why this is an issue of discipleship. See, Jesus uses an analogy now to, to show what he's talking about. Verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, there's a little bit of a cultural disconnect for us here. In, in this time period, the eye was closely connected to the heart. It was about what really draws us in and, and what's uh, close to, uh, what would we say, what's close to our hearts. It's about what you value, about what you bring into your body. So when they talked about someone having an evil eye or a bad eye, they talked about it in the sense of being greedy and, and being kind of self-serving or avaricious. And in contrast, a good eye was an eye that was focused on the right things. And sometimes a good eye would be said to be uh, uh, something that flows out of what we would call a generous heart, and generosity flows from there. So if the, if the eye is focused on the right things and bringing those right uh, motives into the body, then the whole body is going to follow the lead of the eyes. And yet, if the eye is bad, if it's greedy, then the whole body is going to follow along with that as well. And Jesus talks about it with the imagery of light and darkness. The eyes are supposed to bring in light. And when they're working well, that's what they do. And they direct the course of your life in a positive way. But if rather than bringing in light like they're supposed to, the eyes actually bring in darkness, that's a whole other picture. That's great darkness indeed. And then he comes right to the point, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is what it comes down to. We can only serve one master. And that means if money is on the throne of your life, if that's what's driving your life, what that means is that God is not on the throne in your life. You have to pick one. You can't pick both. Our, see, our heart is tied to what we treasure, and it's going to go one direction or the other, and we will end up serving one or serving the other. See, Jesus is bringing us to a point of decision here. He's saying, choose your master. We can choose to allow money to be our master. We can focus our eyes on stuff, and we can follow the pattern of materialism and consumerism. It's a well-worn path. We can pour our life into serving that, that, that master and find that, that we will enter into this cycle of discontent that will never end. It makes for maybe some good economic growth more broadly, but it's a ruthless master and it just destroys our soul. But there is an alternative. We can instead choose a more forgiving, more satisfying master who offers us treasure that will last forever. We can pour our life into service of God and find true joy and true contentment. So Jesus is saying, choose your master. It could be money or it can be God, but it can't be both. 
And again, this should be an obvious choice for us, the way Jesus is laying out for us. Jesus tells a story later that goes like this. A guy was out in a field, and he was digging along, doing some work diligently at it, and, and suddenly his, his shovel came across something that didn't feel like dirt. It felt a little different. So he kind of stooped down and cleared it off a little bit, and he found, well, there was a piece of wood down there. He wasn't sure what it was about, so he decided to kind of carefully excavate around it, and, and eventually it's this big treasure chest, and he opens up. It's just filled with gold. It's a hidden treasure. This is fantastic. And the guy's filled with joy, but the field belongs to someone else, which means that he can't just take that treasure chest away with him. So he decides to devise a plan. He leaves the treasure there. He runs home. He sells everything he owns. And he goes and he buys that field. And maybe his neighbors thinks he, think he is crazy. This, this entire liquidation, everything that he used to think was so important, everything that was his before, he's getting rid of so that he can get that one thing. So he sells everything, and he doesn't do it begrudgingly or mourning the loss. He does it with great joy because he has found something better. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like that. Everything else that was so important to us pales in comparison to this one thing. That the joy of finding this true treasure far surpasses anything else that used to drive our lives. This is so much better than anything else that we could live for. Jesus lays this teaching out for us with, with striking simplicity. You have to trade in lesser treasure for something that is truly valuable. I, I don't know how you relate to this, but for me, treasuring the right stuff is a constant struggle because the reality is I am drawn to stuff. My heart is drawn to stuff. I love new things. I love getting a box in the mail and, and opening it up and, and seeing what, what shiny new thing in the, is in there, whether it's a, it's a book or, or a toy or something else. It's, but there's something about that, that that draws my heart in. And I realize when I'm honest with myself, I, I think that I'm going to find joy in those things. I'm going to find joy in new stuff. What that means is that materialism is an idol that is deeply rooted inside my heart. Let me give an example. It doesn't put me in a very good light, I'm afraid. We, uh, last week, I had a, a day that, that left me just really tired at the end. You've had one of these days at work, and I, I went home, and I sat down at the dinner table, and, and it was uh, all I could do to try to interact with my family at all. It was just one of these really exhausting uh, moments for me. I tried to ask the kids how they were doing, but Emily could tell something was going on. I was tired. But you know what came to my mind as a way of, of solving this and, and making me feel better? I actually said it to Emily. I said, well, maybe I should go buy a new lawnmower tonight. <laughs> I thought in my mind, well, well that's going to make me feel better. That will kind of boost my mood and re-energize me. Isn't that pathetic? But it's actually a thing. It's called retail therapy. You're, you're feeling unhappy for some reason, and so you just go and you buy something, and then you feel better for a little while. It's an actual thing. You can go look it up. Retail therapy is what it's called. Perfect. But what can, can going and buying a new mower actually do for me? The only thing a new mower can do is mow my lawn, cut the grass, right? That is the only thing that a mower is designed to do. But what do I want that purchase of a new mower to do for me? Well, I want it to heal the tiredness in my heart. I, I want it to, to reassure me that I am loved. I want it to guarantee that there is a good future for me. In short, I want it to restore my soul. That's what I'm looking for in that purchase. Now, let's say that I gave into that impulse and I went out that night and got a lawnmower. Didn't happen, but it could have. How long would that have made me feel better? 
If I'm lucky, that might have boosted my mood for like an hour that night. But here's probably what would have happened. Much more likely is that as I picked that mower up off the shelf and put it on a cart and brought it over to the checkout stand, as I was ringing up my purchase, I I might have my eyes catch something else. And Oh, look, there's a new trimmer over there. That would be pretty nice too. And then as I'm taking my purchase out to the car, I might see some patio furniture in front of the store as well. I thought, well, that would be nice too. I wouldn't even get back to my house before I felt dissatisfied once again. That's not what my soul needs. How shallow is that? How foolish is my thinking that that is where my mind goes, that my heart is drawn to something that gives so little satisfaction? What can really restore my soul in that moment? I need God desperately in that moment. I need to remember the gospel that that God loves me more than I ever dreamed possible. That he loves me so much that he sent his own son to rescue me when I was at my worst. I need to remember that there is an inheritance in heaven for me that will never perish or spoil or fade. That that's the reality. I need to go back to the words of Jesus and, and hear his call to all who will follow him. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't that so much better And plus, I don't have to go bankrupt or dive into credit card debt or work myself bone-weary to follow some other treasure that's never going to satisfy. Listen, money is a terrible master. Consumerism, materialism, they are a bottomless pit. And if you're still not sure of that, if you still think, well, maybe if I just add a little bit more, then there would be some kind of contentment, then there would be some kind of satisfaction. Listen to the voices of people who can speak from experience. John D. Rockefeller said this, I have made my millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Andrew Carnegie, millionaires seldom smile. Henry Ford, I was happier when I was doing a mechanic's job. Jesus calls us to something that is far better. There is real treasure that we are being offered. Jesus calls us to lift our eyes above the stuff that draws our attention and draws our heart in, to see through the empty promises of stuff, of materialism, of temporary treasure, to see that God is offering us what our souls are really longing for, what our souls really need. I wonder if you've had the same experience of that guy in Jesus' story, the guy who was walking along the field and, and came across this treasure And he was willing to give up everything he owned to get that treasure. Do you know what that treasure is? That treasure is God himself. We are offered a relationship with God himself. That is the great treasure. And when your heart discovers that, then nothing else will ever satisfy you. You will see through every other empty promise. And you will see that this is what I really need. In your joy, you'll give up everything in pursuit of that one thing, because that is the true treasure. See, the way out of the the cycle of discontentment and disappointment that comes from chasing materialism and consumerism is finding something better, and that is exactly what God offers us. We are offered the treasure 
of God himself. In the coming weeks, we'll look at some concrete steps that we can take to think through uh, how, change how we look about at money and, and how we use it as followers of Jesus. But for now, I want you to spend some time this week reflecting on, on your own relationship with stuff, with money, and in what is really going on in your own heart here. Now, it would be easy for us to just kind of pass over this quickly and say, oh, of course, my treasure's in heaven, absolutely. But don't pass too quickly over what Jesus is saying here. But Jesus is offering us a way to analyze what's going on in our hearts and to see what we're really drawn to here. So ask yourself the hard question. What's really drawing my heart right now? When I'm feeling down, where do I run to first? And what does that show about the lies that I'm believing? What does that show about what's going on inside of my heart? When I see someone else with something new and flashy that I don't have, what's my response to that? And what does that say about what I'm believing about God and what I'm believing about myself and what I'm believing about happiness? It's very easy for us to deceive ourselves about what we really treasure. We can give lip service to, of course, I treasure God more than anything. But let's look at what we're actually doing in our lives. Think about what's actually going on in our hearts to see if that's really true and the extent to which it's true. But don't just stop at at analyzing your own heart. Find the real treasure. Spend time this week considering what it means that God offers us treasure in heaven that is eternal, that God is the true treasure. Maybe take a piece of paper and just write out what you know about God, what you've experienced about Him. Take His Word, read through, find out who this God really is, what he has really done. Find out, well, why, why does it say that he's the treasure? What does that really mean? And then as you write these things out, use that in your personal worship from God to praise him for who he is and what he has done. Pray that he would open your eyes so that you would see more and more of how he is so much better than anything else. Money and materialism can be tricky topics for us because we're such conflicted creatures, at least I am. But know this morning that we are offered a better way. We are offered a true treasure. May God himself, that true treasure, draw our eyes to him, gain our hearts to himself, now and for eternity. Pray with me. God, I thank you for sending your son Jesus so that we could know the better way so that we'd be able to see through empty promises and things that cannot satisfy and be drawn to things that will ultimately satisfy. I pray that this week you would show us what's in our hearts truly, that you would allow us to be honest with ourselves, and that even more than that, you would show us what a treasure you are so that it wouldn't even feel like a cost to give up whatever it is that's drawing our hearts and and capturing our, our imagination right now, we'd see that you are so much better than that. Be our true treasure. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.